Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Comic Source Comic Boom collaboration. Uh, it's another Daily Spawn episode. We're up to number 22. Monday, January 10th, 2022. 30 years of Spawn. This is the 30th anniversary. It did come out much later in the year. Um, but yeah, 30 years of Spawn. So for the for the year of the Spawn, we're celebrating by Rocky and I are trying to read all of the, the main series. Little leeway, little cushion, because by the time we get toward the end of the year, there'll be be between 330, 340 episodes out, 365 days in the year. We got a little cushion. I haven't yeah. missed one yet. Uh, and I got to say, it's been fun because these issues really do hold up much better than I thought they would. But at the same time, I, and I've done daily before, it's always it's a commitment for sure. So uh, we saw yesterday, on yesterday's show, we did uh, Spawn number 21, where Todd McFarlane returned to writing and penciling duties. Uh, so we have the same thing in the credits here for part two of The Hunt from Spawn 22. Story and art by Todd McFarlane. Uh, letters by Tom Orzakowski. Colors by Steve Olaf. Uh, and we talked a little bit when we did the review of 21 about how bringing McFarlane back on was a bit of a catch-up, right? Like uh, he'd had five, I mean, five-issue break, right? Grant Morrison was there with Capullo. And then we had the Tom Orzakowski uh, issues, uh, that Coppola also drew, but keeping in mind they actually came up <laughs> after 21 did in terms of release. But still, uh, it was a, it was a big break for McFarland. So when he jumped back on, it really felt like a bit of a catch up. Like, hey, what's Sam and Twitch up to? What's Spawn up to? What are the mob up to? What's going on with Terry Fitzgerald and his problems? Uh, so there's multiple storylines going on in this Hunt uh, arc that he's doing, and that. Uh, we saw that last issue, Hunt Part One, and that continues in in the Hunt Part Two. So, um, but that that to me, and I, I don't know if I mentioned this on yesterday's show, but that to me, it made it feel like um, a little bit jumbled. It, not that it, the transitions were terrible when it jumped around from storyline to storyline, but it's a lot of storylines for somebody like McFarlane, who's you know doesn't have you know the best writing chops. You know, as much as I love the guy, and he's <laughs> Definitely a, a great businessman, an entrepreneur, and a, a terrific uh, artist. But from what I know of Todd, the thing he he's least talented, least his least natural ability, I'll say, is as a writer. Um, but I did feel like that got better here in in part two uh, of the hunt with issue twenty twenty two or issue twenty two rather. Um, I don't know. It just felt like it. The story, the pacing, flowed a bit better, even though he still covered all those same kind of storylines. What do you think, Rocky? Uh, you know, I, I'm going to disagree with you a bit. I actually thought it was, I got a, I was a little bit irritated here. I thought the exposition, I thought, I thought the exposition was, got really, really heavy here. And, That's uh, fair. and, but I mean, you know, again, it's, it, you could still, it's almost as if, you know, we, in the previous issues we've reviewed, McFarlane has allowed other writers to come on board to write the story and build a mythology of, of Spawn for him in the in in you know what is it what is it seven or eight previous issues it's almost as if McFarlane came back and he felt he had to make up for it and he forgot that he forgot it's almost like he he has to remind us readers everything that he wrote and everything that came before but he doesn't have to do that. Like we're, we've been along for the ride, and what we said before, it's okay if you, re, you know, if you review things for for new readers. But this was, I thought this was. I mean, there's a couple of scenes here, and and maybe we'll cheat a bit and show some of the dialogue because I know that we normally block it out. But 
wow, there's a couple of pages here where there is a massive amount of exposition that was truly, in my view, wholly unnecessary. Uh, and so it, it's a little bit surprising to me. And again, it's it, there's still a good story here. We, we're still getting substance in addition to the excess of exposition. So it's not necessary, but at the same time, uh, I am in, again. I'm still enjoying this story because McFarlane knows the direction. I get a strong sense he knows where he wants to take this story. But boy, he he's definitely afraid to let his own art tell the story. And it's it's uh, you know uh, I don't I don't I haven't read a lot of McFarlane's modern day writing. If in does he, if in fact he does a lot of it, I don't know. But it's you know we'll see how things play out as we read review more issues of Spawn if his exposition becomes less and less. Yeah, it, it, I agree with you. You got to trust the art. And at some point, you wonder if the fact that McFarlane is is writing and drawing this, if that actually hurts him. If he was just writing, maybe the exposition is not as heavy. Uh, or, you know, I know a lot of writers that, that I've interviewed, they'll talk about the fact that they, they write a script, and they have a certain amount of, you know, captions and, and dialogue boxes and, you know, exposition boxes, whatever you want to call them. And then they send it, they send the script to the artist, the artist, you know, writes everything down and then, or, or draws everything rather, and they send it back and then they go back through and they say, okay, of this script now, what can I remove? Because my words with what's shown in that panel are now redundant. I don't need to tell them because the artist is showing them. So they go in and they remove things, right? So you wonder if, um, if I don't know if, like you said, you know, if McFarland's writing still uh, to, you know, these days, if he would go back and remove stuff or if he, it went the other way. And we saw that where we had uh, one issue and I can't remember which issue it was. Maybe it was the Dave Sim issue where McFarland did the art, but didn't write it. And we talked about how it felt like it was some of the better art from McFarlane up to that point. And, and I know that I wondered if it was because he didn't, didn't have to write it also, he could just focus on the art. So, uh, but you're right. This is a heavy, heavily expositional issue and all the, uh, I have, I've actually read the next two and I think it's, I think it's 24. Just wait. I know you haven't seen it yet, Rocky, but just wait till you see the first page. If you think this is expositional. Uh, well, I've read, I mean, I've read 23 already and, and there's a couple. It's like, holy moly. It was like, it's like one page. It was almost, it might as well have been a page from a novel. It's like, yeah. you know, this is supposed to be a comic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like, um, like, what do you, what do you, oh, maybe it, maybe it is, maybe it is 23. <laughs> the opening page where it, he recaps all the yeah uh, yeah that yeah it it happened yeah, in twenty three yeah, I hope it doesn't yeah, happen again in twenty four yeah. but <laughs> yeah no no, no the warning. it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't twenty three twenty three is the one I was looking for yeah yeah you wonder it's like uh, maybe Spawn should have been an illustrated novel rather than a comic but anyway let, let's let's talk about what actually happens in twenty two um, so we meet somebody named Joe Sakic Sasic I think it's Joe Sakic. Um, and basically he's an accountant for the mob and he's going through and, um, talking about getting the, the, uh, the books right for, and I, I think this is the first time we hear Vito Gravano referred to as Tony twist. We've talked about the Tony twist lawsuit before, and it's kind of strange. Like, I don't know why, I mean, bad enough McFarland got sued and had to pay, uh, he had to pay $5 million. So the settlement was actually $15 million. I don't know if we mentioned that or, or the, uh, I'm sorry, the judgment was $15 million and there was appeal and they eventually settled it for 5 million. 
But still, that's a ridiculous amount of money. Uh, and I'm not saying that McFarlane was right or wrong or whatever. I'm just saying that's, that's a ridiculous amount of money. But it's just, it's strange that he call, was calling him Vito Gravana, Gravano or Vito Graves or uh, Dracula, Don Dracula, they called him at one point. And now Tony Twist, it's like, man, how many names are you going to give this yeah, guy? Anthony, Anthony Twistelli is another yeah. one. Like, I mean, yeah. just, you know, settle on a name already. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you should have stopped all you were ahead because it wouldn't, you would have saved yourself 5 million bucks. I, I got a uh, question anyway. for you, Jace. I got a just question. Yeah. Did, have, did they actually change the name? Did they actually retroactively remove Tony Twist's name from some of the issues because of the lawsuit? Or, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, okay. But I did, I did, I did see regarding the lawsuit, just to go on another quick tangent here. Um, apparently, uh, the lawsuit took place in St. Louis. I guess that's where Tony Twist was playing for the St. Louis Blues at the time, yeah. where he filed suit. Um, and apparently, one of the um, the lawyers for Tony Twist, like their law firm had, had a bunch of the like the evidence still like a complete run of spawn. I think they said from issue like one to one seventy two, yeah. and, um, uh, like, and, some, and a poster board that, that a poster board, yeah. drew on drew drew on during drew, the trial. Yeah. Yeah. That he drew McFarland drew while he was sitting in the witness stand. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and the, I don't know if the, it didn't say the article I read didn't say if the uh, comic shop had to buy him or, or what have you the guys <laughs> just brought it over. But yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean, yeah. some of those issues, as we, as we know, we've talked about are pretty hard to find low print run, but yeah, it was pretty, pretty funny. Um, so anyway, uh, Joe Sackick, he's the, the accountant for, for Tony twist. We'll, we'll use the, the forbidden name, uh, <laughs> Tony twist organization. And, works long hours and is devoted and uh, for somehow Spawn has tracked him down and he shows up there, says, hello, Joe, I want to talk. Uh, you know, I, I want to know where your boss is, the fat man. He's been asking about me and I thought I'd answer his call and credit to, to Joe here. He tries to play it off at first. He's like, oh, he's gone. He's checking on business matter. And Spawn's like, really? That's not really that convincing. So, while he's roughing Joe up and trying to get some answers, the guards come in. Uh, and this is actually a really cool scene. So a couple of mob guys, and they've got Uzis, some kind of submachine guns, and they fire at Spawn. And I, I do like, because as Rocky had mentioned, McFarland seems like sometimes he forgets what the other guys have added. And I, and the, when I say other guys, the other writers, and some of the things they've added have been really, really cool, right? Uh and, you know, we talked about how 21 came out after 19 and 20. And we also saw in 19 where uh, Harry Houdini had showed Spawn that, hey, you know, a costume has a mind of its own. It has its own power. You can use it to protect yourself and to even go on the attack and help create objects and do all this kind of stuff. So you don't have to use your own power. So Lee, McFarlane seems to remember that here or he knows that the costume is that way and, and you know, uses that aspect of it of it uh, himself. But the fact these guys are f firing, you know, hundreds of bullets from these automatic weapons and the change is kind of mind of its own deflects all of them. So that's, that's pretty cool. I, I, I thought that was a, a great scene. Beautifully, <laughs> beautifully illustrated. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's fan It's fantastic. And then McFarland tries to be a, a little clever here as the, the guns run out of ammo and start clicking instead of firing. And we get the one guy says, Oh, and the other guy says, Oh, and they realize they're in trouble and they just, it's like, uh, hey, mob guys meet desk, and uh, we just see the, the remnants of a couple of blood spatters on the wall. So, yeah, I mean, say what you will 
about McFarlane, like I said, uh, in terms of, you know, the thing he has the least natural ability, uh, maybe writing, but the guy can tell a story visually. Like there's not much in the way of words on this page as the machine guns run empty. The guys get the worried look on their face, death smashes them, blood spatters on the wall. Like, I mean, there you go, Todd. That's, that's, <laughs> there's no need for anything more. You need to learn to do that <laughs> a little more often. So meanwhile, uh, Joe has gone and, and grabbed uh, some information, trying to save his neck. Basically, again, you don't blame him. He gives it to um, to Spawn, and Spawn leaves. Uh, and as he as he's flipping through it, he goes, "Man, Terry's on this file. Like somehow, some way, between Jason Wynn's organization, Tony Twist's organization, um, there's some, some suspicion that Terry is actually Spawn." So uh, the scene then shifts, and, and this is a really strange scene for me visually. Like I totally understand what McFarlane's trying to do. And we've seen it in different movies and TV shows over the years where you're zoomed in on something so close that you don't even realize what it is. And then the, the you know, the camera slowly zooms out and you're, Oh, you know, your, your brain registers what it is. And it, it can be interesting. I don't know that it works that well with static <laughs> images in a comic because you know, you, you sort of can't focus. I mean, maybe digitally it would if it was panel by panel, but you sort of already realize that it's a fly when you're looking at the the pattern, sort of the pink and bluish, you know, just based on the fact that you your your brain and your eyes take in the whole page at the same time. Yeah. So, it, it you know, I give them credit for trying. But I just want to add, though, that what's funny, though, is that it's not just a fly. It's a fly that's on a donut with pink glazed dressing being eaten by Sam. This, you know, I mean, it's it's a very weird visual. Like, like it's just the oddest thing. I mean, really trying to ram the point home that are you trying to convey the image that Sam, even though Sam's a good guy, he's a disgusting fat detective. Like, it just seems like a very weird association. And like, narr- like visually, like you said, it's 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 an interesting visual. And, but I mean, it's, it's just kind of an odd choice to make. Uh, but, you know, again, I mean, kudos to him because it, as you said, it's definitely, you take notice of it. You definitely take notice of it. I just think it's kind of wasted on a, uh, on a scene with Sam eating a, a pink glazed donut. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that McFarlane was trying to be, you know, and again, this works, would work better in a movie or TV show if you did this, like, Oh my God, that guy, I mean, Sam doesn't realize there's a fly on his donut as he goes to take a bite out of it. And, <laughs> you know, so if you did this in a movie or TV show and the fly was on the part of the donut, they're just about to take a bite of, you would think, oh my God, he's about to eat a fly. Oh my God, that's so <laughs> gross. That's what yeah. you would think. And, but you know, at the last moment, the fly flies off and that's what happens here. And Sam doesn't eat it. But again, <laughs> I think that would, that works better in a, in, you know, live action as opposed to in a comic, but Regardless, it's Sam, it's Twitch, um, and they're talking, you know, with their usual back and forth sort of banter, and uh, they're getting, given a bad time by one of the other detectives there. They call him Ren and Stimpy of New York's Finest, chasing ghosts and blah, 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 and it doesn't really seem to serve a purpose because we don't really learn anything um, other than the fact that the, uh, the sort of homeless – guy i think he might have been living in his car the, the the drug dealer that they roughed up last issue jimmy has come through and um or 
uh, and given them some information. Um, but other than that, we don't really learn much. We don't even learn what the, the information is. Uh, now, the next page, I think, is the page that Rocky was talking about in this particular <laughs> issue where, yeah, this might as well – like this is an illustrated novel at this point. This is prose at this point. You know, it's this is, you know, a, not the most detailed piece of art. Not that it needs to be. It serves its purpose. But it's just a wall of text. Yeah. And, may, you know, maybe it's necessary. There is a lot of information here. Um, some of it is – very repetitive. Like we already know this is Jason Wynn. If we've been, if you've been following along, you know, he uh, was missing for two days. You know, you know that the government doesn't trust him anymore. Like this is all stuff that we, we know. Again, there's not a whole lot here that we learn. It's all sort of just a reminder. Um, and we're reminded about the spawn stealing the ordinance. We're reminded that, Terry Fitzgerald's investigation came back clean, but uh, Wynn's going to pin everything on him anyway. So, yeah, I mean, not only is it a giant wall of text, it's all sort of repetitive and and in a way unnecessary. So, uh, yeah, it's it can be frustrating. Yeah, and it uh, and yeah. it goes out of its way to sort of you know tell people, yeah, this is guy that that Jason Wynn is just as he's even. He's akin to it, like you know Herbert Hoover, you know, or, or uh, pardon me, uh, J. Edgar Hoover of the FBI, and you know the comparisons, and it's really trying to prop prop up Jason Wynn, and and it it goes out of its way to try to explain the fact that he's been trying to blame Terry Fitzgerald uh, for for the uh, security breach at the uh, neglected upstate armory where there was missing ordinances and and weapons that ultimately spawned ultimately ended up using to defeat Overt Kill, and. We kind of all know that, but this is just like this was completely un 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 unnecessary. It really was unnecessary, and the central mystery here was, you know, it's still we've gotten no farther. We we never got into the mind of Jason Wynn. We still don't know where why he was returned, uh, you know, from the from the Angel Satellite because he was anti spawn. There's no mention of that, and it's just it's surprisingly frustrating and. And then to all this, to the point at the end of the exposition, the point is that says, you know, they say these are the reputation and power. These are the building blocks of madness. Well, you know, I guess, but, but yeah, but is, is Jason Wynn, well, I guess we know he's power hungry, but how much, how much does this, ha does, does this point have to be rammed home already? It's like, you know, to me, this was a wasted page. We didn't, we, we didn't need this. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, again, for, uh, great for somebody who doesn't know what's been going on. Great to bring them up to speed. But for somebody who's been reading, yeah, we, we know all this. And in a way, by being constantly reminded of it, it brings it, it brings kind of the the lack of uh, vermissitude to it because we're being constantly reminded that Wynn was missing for two days. His government doesn't trust him, but yet he's one of the most powerful guys in the uh, intelligence arm of the U.S. So you've got to think, okay, well, until you get some answers, why is he allowed to be in charge still? Yeah, you and know, how smart can he be? How how smart can he be if he can't? If I mean, uh, a strange way of putting it, but how smart is he, or how intelligent is he really, if he can't even frame a guy like Terry Fitzgerald, who literally has done nothing? The guy, the guy, Fitz, Jerry Fitzgerald has literally done nothing. He hasn't actually actively done anything 
to 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 impact any of the central narratives. He's just been sort of a guy who's loving his wife Wanda and commenting occasionally about 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 Spawn or you know what I mean or or about his pal Al and so it's it's the oddest thing. It's like per Terry Fitzgerald is being set up, and the odd thing is is that everyone who's investigating him is finding him innocent. Even Jason Wynn's own men keep finding no evidence against them. And yet they keep going and threatening him, but yet can't find anything against him. It's the oddest thing. You would think that in a massive organization that Jason Wynn, if he controls the entire U.S. government intelligence operations, you'd think he'd find an, a, an easier scapegoat than Terry Fitzgerald, a guy who's squeaky clean. You, you, you're telling me you can't find somebody else who's not squeaky clean? The, yeah, so that, like I said, criminal, just, you know, <laughs> yeah, criminal, foreign operative, something. Something. Uh, we are, yeah, we, yeah, we are told in the next page, though. Um, <laughs> You know, they've turned on one of their own. The, the accusation comes from so high up, it's going unchallenged. Meanwhile, concrete evidence is being manufactured to answer anyone's questions. So he obviously is planting evidence. We don't know exactly what. But yeah, I mean, these are supposed to be we're, – we're also constantly told that, you know, he's head of the, the U.S. Security Agency, which is the, uh, you know, the, the highest level of, of uh, government or, or what have you, only answers to uh, – the president and, and the joint chiefs. So you, I got to think in order to work for him, you got to be pretty competent. So if it's manufactured evidence, aren't, the investigators aren't good enough to realize it's manufactured evidence. So again, like harping on these points brings into the fact that there are some, there's some plot holes here. So he needs to, he needs to stop bringing it up constantly. <laughs> but anyway, Terry's at his desk. He's writing a report for uh, what happened in issues 19 and 20, why he has to write, write it in Russian, he complains about. Like, why would you be writing a report for, a, like, a field report for something to happen and then have to put it in Russian? That doesn't make any sense either. That makes no sense. I, I guess yeah. is, is, to make it easier for Russian spies to read it when they steal it. I mean, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, as he's doing that, there's a screen from the outer office. It's his secretary. Somebody has very subtly sent him a box with a rat in it that has a knife stabbed through a note into the rat's belly. It says, dear Fitzy, you're a dead rat. Um, and the, the, the secretary's like, what does it mean? Can, can you read? What do you think it means? They think he's a rat. Like, and he's like, no, Julia, don't worry. I'll take care of it. Blah, blah, blah. Like, man, you are one dumb lady. Like, what does it mean? It says right on the note what it means. Like, this is not subtle. It's a dead rat. It says, Fitzy, dear Fitzy, you're a dead rat. Like, uh, yeah, another just head scratcher. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, and at this point, Terry again begins to feel scared, it says. For the first time since the threats began, Terry's feeling scared. Really? Is this what it took? A dead rat? Dude, <laughs> somebody's got it in for you. Yeah. Maybe you're not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Maybe you can, you know, use the knife that stabbed the rat. But yeah, he's a, anyway, he's a, he's a snowflake. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he's slow, slow on the uptake here, Terry. Yeah. I'm sorry, uh, but but again, very very typical uh, McFarlane panel there for showing somebody surprise zoomed in on the eye. Yeah. That's very wide open. So uh, then we see Spawn, who is uh, is reading the report or reading the files that he got from Joe Sackick, the accountant of Tony Twist, in an alley, sitting on a throne. And I want to point something out here. Um, again, heavily, heavily, uh, text page here. Um, and we're told that his buddies, uh, it, somewhat in homage of him as their dark protector have built him this throne of waste and debris, which is fine. I think it's a little weird 
that they're in a way treating Spawn like he's the king or whatever. But the thing I want to point out, it says, um, it was assembled by the homeless now under his protection. His first instinct was to scoff at their handiwork, but what else could they have built to support his 400 pound mass? Spawn weighs 400 pounds? Yeah, like I, I get, I get, I get that it's not his earthly body. We've been told that it's psychoplasm. Psychoplasm must be very dense and much heavier than human flesh, because even though it's not a real human body, like we know he has a heart and you know bones and whatnot, because we've seen that at various times in this series so far. So, because his mind knows what a human body is, you know, technically supposed to be, look like inside and be assembled, you know, what the parts are and whatever that. He, you know, his own mind has created this psychoplasm body to resemble a human body, even though it doesn't actually need his heart, as we saw when the Violator took it. But he weighs 400 pounds. And I also get like, okay, so add in some weight for the chains, I guess, and the spikes. Um, but the costume itself, it, does it have a lot of weight? It doesn't seem to. I mean, the, when he jumps around, the cape goes flowing everywhere has sort of mind of its own but yeah 400 pounds i never would have guessed yeah. and and why is it important like why does he why is it even he why did mcfarland even go out of his way to point out that he spawn weighs 400 well, pounds i well, just thought funny. it was strange yeah it is strange and and it also is if i chuckle even more when i realize how much exposition we've gotten in these 22 issues to only we're only finding this out now <laughs> Yeah. I mean, of all the times, I mean, you would have thought somewhere near the beginning, if you know, when he was first became Spawn and woke up, you think that it made some offhand comment about his weight. Again, it's a minor point; it's just a, it's a nitpick. But it, like you said, I mean, you you brought it up, and I noticed that too. It was like, geez, four hundred pounds. That's that's quite, you know. I I would I would assume it would have to be. I would. I'm just guessing it would be the cape. I would think because I I just I view this cape as being so magical and everything else, especially the way almost like Houdini sort of described it. And like I said, we don't know how psycho how much psychoplasm weighs, so you never know. Maybe. Yeah. Psychoplasm, it creates something. It has an additive weight to it factor, but uh, it's interesting. Yeah, that's all I can think is it's got to be really dense stuff, but uh, 400 pounds, I mean, that's a lot. And I, and I know the cape is big, but again, it flows around like it's not that heavy. But well, regardless, Spawn apparently weighs 400 pounds. He might want to lay off the pinkies. Um, and we are told that he he's grateful for the throne, but he's very uncomfortable with their devotion. But, you know, mm. he considers them family and and yada yada so uh, then the scene shifts back to tony twist and <clears throat> the scientist he has working for him we know that he lured overt kill away from the uh the mafia back in italy to yep. come and kill spawn and spawn used the two ion cannons and and took him out but what we find out here uh, and it was mentioned last issue that overt kill was still around uh we find out that uh, Tony Twist apparently had, uh, you know, the body moved to the secret laboratory to be repaired. And uh, the scientist is talking about, well, there's, a, you know, there's a few problems. Uh, we weren't able to completely wipe his old memories and whatnot. Right. And, uh, and Tony Twist is like, I'm not really concerned about his memory. I just need him to go tonight. And we get a, a full page splash with Tony Twist's usual uh, grin that says, uh, you know, uh, the other invite to the, you know, I'm having a party basically. And the other invite, uh, the other person should be getting their invite to the party right now. Yeah. So by party, he means, uh, you know, sending overt kill out to, uh, to take care of business. And again, he thinks 
because of information he's obtained from J either directly from Jason Wynn at this point, we don't know, or he's got a mole in his organization or just through contacts or whatever, that he thinks that Spawn is responsible. First of all, he thinks Tony Twist thinks that Spawn's responsible for all the deaths that were actually the violators stealing people's hearts way back in the first few issues. Um, and again, because of Wynn probably wanting Terry Fitzgerald to be the scapegoat and to be removed from the, the playing field. Uh, Tony Twist thinks that Terry Fitzgerald is Spawn. So we, we see Fitzgerald after the getting the dead rat delivering his office. He ran home. He was worried about his wife and daughter when he got there. Then he remembered, oh, yeah, this is the day that they go uh, over to see Grandma Blake. So they're not even there, which technically Grandma Blake is not even. Um, I, no, wait, I guess it is. I guess it is uh, Amanda or uh, Wanda's grandmother. For some reason, I was thinking it was Al's grandmother. Um, but Al's really close to her and, and went and visited her when, you know, previous previous issues and found out Wanda still uh, still loves him. So anyway, as Terry is sitting there, he peeks out his window. He sees the guys that are watching him. And it, it says two CIA people here. But in, <laughs> in the next issue, they refer to him as FBI agent. So I'm not sure which agency. Yeah, I it would have to be it would have to be the FBI. I don't think it's surprising. I don't think. McFarland. I mean, I'm sure McFarland knows, but the CIA is is it's illegal for them to operate within the United right. States, so it would have to be the FBI. Yeah, but I so mean, this is probably I mean, yeah, probably a mistake that didn't get caught yeah. that they corrected uh, in the next in the next issue. But right. uh, anyway, it's like they're parked right out front. It's obvious uh, they want him to know he's being watched, and so as he's as they're sitting there and as Terry's watching, two mob guys pull up, and this is the invite that Tony Twister was just talking about, right? Over at Kill needs to be in a certain alley at a certain time, and uh, they want to be sure that uh, that Terry Fitzgerald is there as well. So the two FBI agents, like, wait, what the hell's going on? Is these two mob guys just? They don't even look around. They just pull up to the house behind another car and just <laughs> jump out with these automatic weapons, like not the not the sharpest tools in the shed. So yeah. then what happens? Of course, Buddha, Buddha, Buddha. Uh, brap, 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 as uh, these two guys are exchanging gunfire. So Terry, in his infinite wisdom, decides, well, I, I got to get in the middle of this, right? And he comes out of the house with a gun. Like, why wouldn't you just sneak out the back door and let these guys shoot it out? But he's like, get out of here, just leave. And they both, you know, they're more worried about Terry than they are each other. These guys don't really know. The mob guys don't know the FBI guys and vice versa. They're just following orders. But they know that Terry Fitzgerald is, you know, a problem. So both, all four of them, both pairs turn their guns on Terry and he ends up having to duck for cover, which then allows the mob guys to take out the FBI guys. They yell, hey, Fitzgerald, we got your wife and girl. Um, if you ever want to see him again, be at this alley at a certain time and you better be alone. Now, then we get a couple of other big exposition boxes here that say, actually, what's happened is... Grandma Blake and Wanda and Cyan are at the park. And if Terry's thinking that, hey, I can go and rescue them and goes to Grandma Blake's house, he'll find it empty. And then he'll assume that these mob guys were telling the truth. Again, kind of unnecessary. <laughs> it doesn't really like why didn't why didn't McFarland just have them actually kidnapped or use another just say, hey, if you don't show up, we'll find them and kill them. I don't know. Again, it, it seems a little clunky. And it's also something that would not work at all in the day of like nowadays, modern times. Terry would just pick up the phone and call her 
yeah, call her cell exactly. phone and be like, so anyway, uh, <laughs> it doesn't run, quite Terry work run. for me to, to believe yeah. that she's at the park with the kids while he's being shot at at the house. It's just, yeah. you know, it lacks, it lacks a little bit of, uh, that, that wonderful V word verisimilitude yeah. as, as yeah. I love to say, but, uh, you know, I guess we'll go with it. There's a lot of action here to enjoy and great art. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fantastic art. But again, it's, it, yeah, it just feels a little clumsy. And, you know, Terry knows he should stay there because he's got two dead FBI agents on his lawn. But obviously he's worried about his wife and daughter and, you know, he's he's under all this pressure and he knows, I mean, it doesn't look good for him. So he, he does what a lot of people would do, I think, and he runs. So meanwhile, we're told hours later, Spawn's chilling on his throne. One of his buddies uh, shows up, Al, Al, hey, Al, he's coming for you. He says to be over uh and it gives them the same address and spawns thinking, Oh, so the files were, were correct. Right. Um, over kill is coming. And, uh, and Terry is there because the guy says you better hurry. Cause some black dude in a suit is in his sights. That's when spawn realizes that the black dude in the suits, Terry, obviously he wants to save his friend. He knows that, um, Tony twist thinks that, uh, that Terry Fitzgerald is spawn. So, Everything's starting to come to a head, um, as it were. And, and the guy even mentions over, Overkill by saying, uh, I don't know who he is, but that guy's as big as a bus. Uh, and before Spawn just goes running off, he goes, thanks for the warning. I got a little help tucked away. Uh, and by that, he means the ion cannons that he used to take him out the first time. So the scene then shifts to the alley where uh, Terry Fitzgerald's hiding out. It doesn't take long for Overkill to find him. And... Uh, as soon as Tony, or as soon as uh, Terry Fitzgerald sees him, he says, Wanda Cian, I love you, because he knows his number's probably up. I don't know. The way uh, McFarlane draws it, over it kills probably four or five times bigger, at least, than yeah. Terry Fitzgerald. So back in the alley, Spawn is digging through trash. Apparently, he hid the ion cannons under every piece of uh, rotten, disgusting piece of garbage he could to discourage people to go look for it. But He's got to hurry because Overkill's there, Terry's there, and he's got to find these cannons, these ion cannons. And as he's looking, all of a sudden we see the barrel of a very large gun uh, pushed up against his temple. And we see a voice say, don't move. And it's um, it's Twitch, Detective Twitch, who's found him with uh, Sam right behind saying, great work, Twitch. And we're shown Spawn's current power, power level, which is 7864. And I could have sworn in a previous issue it was already down to six, but regardless, I'm probably wrong. Uh, 7864 here. And uh, the issue ends with a picture of uh, Overkill with one of those trademark McFarland grins. Um, because time, once again, has become an enemy to Spawn and to his friends. So yeah. Overkill threatening Terry, Twitch with a gun to Spawn's head. We don't know where Wanda and Sienna are. We're told they're at the park. I guess we'll see next issue. But um, yeah, that not again, other than the gunfight between the two detectives, there's actually not much action here. Uh, well, I guess Spawn takes out the two mafia guards right at the beginning, which is kind of fun. But again, we got a lot of setup last issue, a little more setup this issue. Last two issues of the arc are a lot of action. So I, I didn't mind this issue. Um, like I said, I felt like Maybe because some of these threads, these four separate um, story threads start to come together, I felt like it wasn't so disparate as the first uh, issue, first issue of the arc. Um, 
but there's yeah there's still a ton of ton of exposition and just those little weird things like we talked about like the fly and spawn weighing 400 pounds and uh the 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 mob guys bluffing uh terry fitzgerald basically saying yeah we got your wife and daughter when they really don't just well not only that weird the, the the story i mean the central part of this story is Spawn finds out of all places since when would a mafia like would Jason Wynn provide information to his accountant about Terry Fitz about about like Spawn finds out through looking at the accountant uh, at material provided from the accountant that you know Vito thinks that Terry is Spawn. Well, why would that be in, in an accountant's book or manual? Like, I, I'm not, that's why I don't quite understand why why Jason Wynn was using, uh, you know, his accountant was, has, is privy to all this information. Just like conveniently in a lot of these issues, the media, the, the amount of leaks that seems to come out of Jason Wynn's office and even the mobs, even the mafia's information seems to leak to the media. You know, whoever the leak is at the at the mobster and in the intelligence agencies. I mean, good lord, we think there's enough leaks right now in present day America. <laughs> it's got nothing on spawn on the spawn issues here. But as you said, I mean, I can go with it. But it is kind of interesting that we almost didn't need Spawn to break into the accountant's office at the beginning because he would have ended up finding out about Overkill coming back anyway and attacking a, uh, yeah. a black man because that's actually what would have happened anyway. So it's a lot of this stuff was almost superfluous. It wasn't necessary. It was it was um, it was unnecessary. It wasn't necessarily additive, but it's again it provided for some beautiful visuals. Uh, but it was just, you know, that's a, and again, yeah, again, it's just so much of it is just clumsy, you know, like, like even, you know, to your point about, you know, why would those files have been there? Like what, why would this accountant have files about stuff that doesn't have anything to do with monetary? We're, We're even told by McFarland himself that, um, that the reason that Joe Sackick, uh, does all this stuff it works so hard is all the all the pieces are relevant and he's got access to every bit of data and he does he manipulates them in such a way that everything looks legitimate maintaining that shell of legitimacy is a must information is gathered organized sanitized carefully accounted for an audit would show a clean legal operation mm-hmm. well if somebody comes in to do an audit and there's a file that's got all this information the file you gave spawn then guess what? You wouldn't have gotten away with it. So yes, like the, what actually happens in the story contradicts what McFarland is actually telling us. Unless that file was hidden away some, in some way, but that's not what's shown. He just opens a filing cabinet and takes it. So again, you know, it, we're nitpicking. Um, overall, the story's fun and it's, you know, it's, it's of its time and it's of the 90s and it's a little bit expositional, but it does have that fact, fantastic McFarland art. And, you know, it, if if I'm critical at all of it, it's only because it could it could have been even better, you know. Maybe Spawn didn't need to go through a a period of time where the sales weren't so great because the bones of the story are are good. And I, again, I think McFarland knows that he's not the most talented writer. That's why he's getting all these other writers to come in. That's why he didn't write every you know issue of the 325 or whatever we're on run of Spawn, you know, up to this point. So, you know, credit where credits due. The guy knows that. 
other people probably do it a little better than than he does. But uh, it is interesting enough, and I'm definitely you know curious to find out what what's happened. Like I said, I've I've read 23 already, um, and I can't remember. I may have read 24 also. So I'm I'm reading a couple of issues ahead because I want to know what's happening. So that's that's what you want out of a comic ultimately to want to be feel compelled to keep reading and know what's happening. Yeah. Well, one good, there, there's one good thing about uh, McFarlane's writing is that he, even though, I mean, these, the, the, these criticisms here are, like I said, they're more criticisms of, you know, I guess maybe form and, uh, un, you know, maybe some unnecessary scenes, but again, because it's comic books, it's the type of medium that we can take pleasure in, in some, I don't mind having some added, some scenes added <laughs> just to get some great scenes, some great, great art. And yeah. the, the narrative is easy to follow. It is fun. And I am genuinely curious. I mean, I, I you know, because often, even though I can maybe some parts of the, the characterizations are a little bit maybe tropey, a little bit maybe cartoony at times with the shit-eating grin on the bad guys. And it's very obvious who the good and bad people are. There is, this does have an element, this feels like a comic book and it feels like a, a lot of fun. And it's going to be, uh, I'm really curious to see how this is going to evolve. I, I know I sound like a broken record, but, you know, uh, and I, I'm even more curious when I think about the Spawn movie coming out because I know McFarlane has, you know, he's, you know, he wants more of a hands-on approach in terms because he's he's directing it, is he not? Yeah, right. Yeah, and so, directing. and now, I, I got to admit that if if he's directing it with the type of sensibilities he he brought to these earlier issues of Spawn that he wrote, I'm not going to lie, I'm a little bit concerned, right? <laughs> okay, in, yeah, in terms he's never, of yeah. You know. He's never directed. He's a he's a producer on it. I think executive producer probably. Yeah. And he's and obviously he's so that gives him some control over the script. Yeah. Uh, and he's also directed and he's never directed anything before. So, but yeah. it's his property. It's his baby. And yeah. I will say this. I will say this. If it's a if it's not a good movie, it won't be because he because Todd didn't care or Todd didn't pour his heart and soul into it. I agree, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to work his tail off to try to make it good and any any failings will just be you know lack of experience so i hope he I hope he has an assistant director or, or somebody there to you know who who has experience and i'm sure he will um because he's a smart enough guy to, to know where his shortcomings may be um that might help smooth over any any rough edges so i'm i'm excited i mean i i, I mean J jamie fox as al simmons it could it could work um yeah, yeah I'm, i'll definitely go see it yeah, no. Well, fingers crossed, you know, because I'm I'm definitely gonna go see it, and it's gonna be because because by the time that movie comes out, you and I are gonna be spawn experts for sure. Yeah, <laughs> and so it's gonna be really, uh, it's gonna be really interesting to see if because you know, especially if if he's gonna be doing the layouts of the scenes and everything, it's always interesting. I love when I go to a movie. Those of us who read comics and go to the comic book superhero movies, I love when you have iconic rep scenes. Uh, represented uh, on the big screen because it just you know it's hard not to smile because I feel rewarded for all those hours we I have yep. reading comics to say oh my god that was in a comic I saw that scene in a comic yep. that's awesome yeah, it's like I saw that yeah. shit eating grin in a comic <laughs> yeah sometimes you're like you know the exact issue panel yeah uh, it, that's when that, that's when it's really cool so uh, yeah like if we ever got a, a real crisis on Infinite Earths movie with Superman holding Supergirl you know from crisis seven yeah oh man that, 
seeing that on the big screen, like fingers I crossed, die, one day could die, could die a happy man. So yeah. Uh, all right. Anything else to add about twenty two before we wrap it up, Rocky? Uh, no, I, I think I think we said it all. Looking forward to reviewing the next issue. Yep, definitely. So uh, we appreciate you guys joining us as always. Don't forget if you're listening to us audio only, head over to YouTube. Do a search for Rocky's channel. It's Comic Space Boom! Exclamation point. Be sure to subscribe, ring the notification bell, like this video. All of that stuff really helps uh, us with our reach and our access to different things. And uh, it will help you know when Rocky puts out new content because there's other stuff on his channel besides just Spawn Daily. Uh, conversely, if you are checking us out on YouTube so you can see all the art as we're talking about it, we really appreciate that. But don't forget to go to your favorite podcasting platform or app and do a search for the comic source and subscribe to the audio only portion so you don't miss out on any of our audio-only content. So once again, really appreciate you guys joining us. Based on download numbers, you're really enjoying Spawn Daily. So we're glad you're all here to uh, celebrate 30 years of Spawn with us, and we will talk to you tomorrow. See you later. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.